Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Since this historic inquiry is moving at breakneck speed, we bring you a new episode every single weeknight that's packed with up-to-the-minute reporting and analysis. The dust is still settling from a consequential day on Capitol Hill. Yesterday, we heard from two witnesses, one of whom snuck in a bit of a bombshell. And tomorrow, uh, we're hearing from the former ambassador to Ukraine, who was the subject of a discredited smear campaign. I have two superb guests today to provide perspective on this wild week. In a few minutes, we'll be talking to Matt Lewis, CNN political commentator and senior columnist at The Daily Beast. But first, I'm joined by the always insightful Stephen Collinson, who is a CNN White House reporter. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. Hey, how you doing? So why don't I just get your top line? This is sort of our catch your breath day between uh, what we heard from Ambassador Taylor and George Kent yesterday, the State Department uh, folks, uh, Yovanovitch tomorrow, of course. So in this moment where we don't have hearings today, what has stuck, do you think, from yesterday? I think it's actually very good that we have this day to kind of digest what happened yesterday. I think the big takeaway, of course, was that bombshell you mentioned uh, that uh, William Taylor, the top U.S. diplomat in Ukraine, said that there was a phone call the day after that now notorious phone call between President Zelensky and President Trump. Uh, and his aide was in a restaurant and overheard this phone call. It was between uh, Gordon Sunland, the U.S. ambassador to the EU, and the president of the United States. And on that phone call, uh, uh, which the aide heard, Taylor said that the president asked him how the investigations were coming along. And and, And Sunderland said they were moving forward. This appears to give a direct connection between the president and this pressure on Zelensky. And, of course, the Republican argument has been this is all hearsay. There's no um, direct connection between the president. You've got no evidence saying that he ordered the pressure. Here it is. I mean, it seems to completely uh, undermine their point. It doesn't make the argument go away, though. It may undermine their point. But I want you to hear what Kellyanne Conway, the advisor to the president, told Wolf Blitzer on CNN this morning about this new information. Here's Kellyanne. There was nothing new yesterday. You're calling that evidence uh, respectfully. In a real court of law, we would not be referring to something as evidence that is, oh, someone on my staff recalled overhearing a conversation between someone else and the president where they think they heard the president use the word investigations. This is not what due process and the rule of law and our great democracy allows. So uh, she just is in complete defiance of the notion that something new was introduced, but it was clearly introduced. And as you said, it did get closer to the president. I guess we're going to hear, well, we won't hear, but it'll be behind closed doors and perhaps we will hear some reporting out of what this aide who overheard this call, uh, what the experience was, what he overheard. Exactly. So there's a couple of things in there. First of all, the idea that this is hearsay. Yes, it is hearsay. Hearsay is actually admissible in a court of law in many places. This, of course, is not the only evidence. This appears to completely back up the rough transcript we saw of the president objectively, at least to me, seems to be putting pressure on Zelensky. But as to the call itself, we're going to uh, the aide that overheard this conversation in a restaurant, which, by the way, opens all sorts of uh, questions about why the president of the United States was calling someone on a cell phone in a restaurant in a country which is crawling with Russian intelligence. And how many phone calls like that 
do you right. think now exist? It just I mean, Donald Trump dials up a lot of people on their cell phones I mean, to it, talk it's, about anything. It's mind-boggling to yeah. start with. So that's put that to one side. Uh, the uh, aide, um, David Holmes, is due to testify to give a deposition uh, behind closed doors on Friday. Uh, the trend has been that we get the opening statements of those depositions uh, leaks, and I'm sure that's what's going to happen. So we may have a little bit more visibility into this on Friday. As for Kellyanne Conway's question, uh, point about this being hearsay, next week we're going to get open public testimony from Gordon Sunland himself. He is going to be under oath. He's going to be asked about this call. Is it accurate what the aide said? And then he's potentially going to have a choice between protecting his own uh, legal position and the President of the United States. So this time next week, this call may not be hearsay. We may have a very dramatic moment in that hearing. Well, and uh, Gordon Sunland is not the only person that we are going to hear from next week who had conversations uh, with the president. But I, I, yes, his testimony now has become that much more important right. with this information, especially after... Uh, he had already adjusted his testimony to get right with the rest of the record that has been out there, which shows to me some inclination that Sunlin is not at all interested at uh, having any kind of untruthfulness in his testimony. He's concerned about the fact that he's under oath, right. and, as he should be. And uh, it suggests that maybe he's going to have to offer some more testimony to explain the circumstances of this phone call. And if I was in the White House, I would think I would be very concerned. Uh, Gordon Sunlin is not... A professional diplomat. He's not a politician. He's a Republican mega donor that got this job. Uh, there's, you know, a big question of why the U.S. ambassador to the EU is even having anything to do with Ukraine policy, because of course Ukraine isn't in the EU. In fact, Bill Taylor called that unusual right, yesterday. Right, and and so that's one question. The other thing is. Uh, he doesn't seem to be like the kind of witness who is very dexterous and quick on his feet uh, and could navigate his way out of a very difficult political and legal situation. Uh, he basically, as I said, has a choice between protecting himself and protecting the president. That must be a very worrying uh, prospect for the White House. I want to read your own words to you. You're a wordsmith and you have this analysis up on CNN.com. I urge folks to go read it. But you write uh, in today's piece, in a political world ruled by fact and where polarized differences still allowed dispassionate debate, Trump's position immeasurably worsened over an intense day of testimony. So, A, I guess you have to tell me, are we living in a political world ruled by fact uh, or not? Uh, you say his position immeasurably worsened yesterday. Um, do you do you sense concern among the White House that they actually think that's the case? Do you have any sense um, from anything you've seen from voters out in the country responding to the hearings yesterday? How do you determine that his position became immeasurably worse? I think his position in terms of the logic of the bubble, if you like, of this case uh, uh, clearly demonstrably worsened with that Sunderland testimony. Uh, the fact that they're now appears to be a direct link between... The Taylor testimony. The ta sorry, yes. the Taylor testimony. There now appears to be a direct link uh, with the pressure on the Ukrainian government. But the point I'm trying to make there is, uh, first of all, and we've always known that impeachment is a, a political question. Uh, it, it's about persuading people. Uh, the Democrats need to change the equation so that Republican senators in the event of a Senate trial uh, feel more pressure and maybe uh, under pressure not to support and save this presidency. But that's not the world we're in. The, re the, the Republican defense um, 
is uh, not really addressing the facts of the case, partly because they're not that favorable to the present. But we're getting these reams of conspiracy theories. Uh, people were talking about Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama in the hearing. This whole crowd strike theory that Ukraine uh, was actually interfering in the uh, 2016 election uh, as compared to the whole first part of the Mueller report and every uh, assessment of U.S. intelligence that it was Russia. So um, we're in this strange vortex where black is white, where uh, facts don't necessarily matter. And I think that's the most interesting point. Brian Stelter, uh, our colleague uh, with CNN Media, had a great piece today. He watched Fox News all last night. And that was saying it was a disaster for the Democrats. And people in the White House are telling the president that he had a great day yesterday when objectively he doesn't. So this this impeachment is not unfolding, uh, you know, like the, the Nixon situation with months of Senate Watergate hearings, uh, uh, a much less polarized and splintered uh, news environment. Much less yeah, environment. the media environment's totally different. So... Uh, this is unfolding in two different parallel worlds, and, and the politics of this are therefore much, much harder for the Democrats to change. So Trump's legal political position worsened in the uh, internal logic of this case, but that's not probably going to translate to a political transformation. Stephen, we're going to leave it right there, but stick around, please. We're going to bring in CNN political commentator Matt Lewis, who will join us right after this quick break. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. I'm David Chalian. Reporter Stephen Collinson is still with me and joining us is CNN political commentator and senior columnist at the Daily Beast, Matt Lewis. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Hey, good to be here. So you just heard Stephen and I were talking in the previous block about uh, the politics of this and, and the polarized environment in which we live. I want you to hear Speaker Pelosi at her weekly press conference this morning she almost is ignoring the fact uh, or trying to ignore the fact impeachment is an inherently political process. Now, she acknowledges it's divisive in the country, but she is trying to rise above it, I think, and paint this more as a patriotic mission the Democrats are on than a political one. Here's Speaker Pelosi. This is for the American people. This is about patriotism. It's not about politics, Democrats, Republicans. It's not about pol anything political. It's about patriotism. It's about honoring our oaths of office. How can an impeachment not be about politics? Well, I think it can be about politics, and it also can be about patriotism. I mean, look, a lot of Democrats wanted to impeach Donald Trump from day, from day one. They certainly stand to gain politically. They have ulterior motives. But as someone who is a center-right journalist, columnist, uh, who doesn't really have any skin in the game in terms of wanting Democrats to win. I actually think there is a patriotic case to be made for doing this, uh, if for no other reason than to be a disincentive for future presidents, including Donald Trump, from doing this again. Do you agree with my esteemed colleague here, uh, Stephen's assessment about uh, that the president's case uh, that his day yesterday uh, was a day that worsened his case? Yeah, look, I, I think that um, I going into this, I was um, I was under the assumption that Democrats would not have a great day. And that's partly because in terms of of 
the uh, the TV spectacle, they have really failed. I mean, the Robert Mueller testimony did not work out for them. Uh, Corey Lewandowski. I mean, so we had essentially these hostile witnesses who really did not make Democrats look good. And I, I thought maybe we'll have a return of that. Um, in hindsight, though, I, I think that that Ambassador Taylor and George uh, Kent did as well as one could have expected. I think they probably exceeded expectations. Uh, they came across as likable and credible. Maybe not a home run, but a solid double. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I think this is just the start of the process. What uh, we had yesterday was the start of making the case that the president, uh, in a very unpatriotic way, has hijacked U.S. foreign policy and U.S. national interests for his own political ends. And, and these were the two uh, implementers of U.S. foreign policy at the sharp end. We're going to see on Friday uh, Marie Yovanovitch's testimony, the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. We're going to get this whole story of how Rudy Giuliani was trying to undermine her, eventually got her hauled back uh, to Washington because he saw her as thwarting the president's uh, priorities in Ukraine, which was, of course, to get this investigation into Joe Biden and his son, Hunter. So the be- that's the beginning of the picture. Uh, and of course, Yovanovitch was uh, fired in April, so she can't tell us anything about what happened after that. But that concentrated story is what the Democrats are starting to tell. The question, I guess, of course, is whether in uh, a modern age of social media and short attention spans, that the country is willing to sit for another week and hear about all this. Of course, the the Senate Watergate uh, hearings went on for months, but we're getting this real intense block in the next two weeks. So that's going to be very interesting to see. That question to you, Matt, that that Stephen just asked about uh, the way in which the country perceives this information now. No, there's no doubt that that we have short attention spans. I think Democrats may want to consider the wisdom of leaking out everything they know in advance. Now, I, I do think the big benefit of these TV hearings uh, are the personalities, right? So you had Oliver North and the Iran-Contra coming out in that crisp Marine uniform and kind of winning over through uh, the day through charisma. Uh, I think to a large degree, especially Ambassador Taylor, basically repeating things we already knew, but doing it in a way that was compelling uh, again, I think likable and credible, but he had that one bombshell piece of information that had not leaked out yet. And so I think part of the key to sustaining the momentum of this story is not giving away everything before it happens. And I don't know if Democrats can actually prevent themselves if they have the discipline to keep from leaking everything in advance. Right. If he had had that information at the time about the phone call uh, from his aide at the time he went in for his deposition, I would imagine we would already know about that from leaks from the Democrats. Uh, that you are right. I don't I don't know that they would have really held that information back had they had it in their hands uh, in advance. Yeah. Um, Stephen brought up Rudy Giuliani, and I just want to read to you this story uh, I, that is just breaking here, and I cannot tell if it's serious, but it, the, it's from an interview that Giuliani did with The Guardian, and I'm reading from a Daily Mail account of it. 
he clearly seemed to be joking, but let me just read to you and, and get the reaction here. Um, Rudy Giuliani, this is according to the Daily Mail, Donald Trump's personal lawyer has said he's confident that the president will remain loyal to him as an impeachment inquiry unfolds in which the former New York mayor has become a central figure. But Giuliani joked that he had good, quote, insurance, end quote, in case Trump did turn on him. Uh, In a telephone interview with The Guardian, in response to a question about whether he thought he was nervous that Trump might, quote, throw him under the bus in the impeachment crisis, Giuliani said with a slight laugh, quote, I'm not. But I do have very, very good insurance. So if he does, all my hospital bills will be paid. Mm. Oh, my. Yeah. what, What kind of joke is that? Well, look, I mean, I think it's within the realm of possibility that, that that Rudy Giuliani could at some point be thrown under the bus. And the the notion would be that he was ro- that he went rogue and he was, you know, operating under under all of these, you know, trying to smear uh, Ambassador Yovanovitch and, and that Trump didn't really know the full extent of all of this. And, you know, Giuliani. Actually, this is something Trump does all the time, right? Where you you say something in jest, but maybe it's a joke and maybe it's not. (laughs) I kind of feel like that's what this was, right? I mean, jokes always have a little bit of truth (laughs) to them, right? I mean, his lawyer says he's joking, but yes, there's some truth there. Uh, You know, especially when these are two uh, players in the great shark pond of New York uh, you know, these guys uh, know the way to talk to each other. But just on that point about, you know, throwing him under the bus, we have testimony uh, of people saying that when they wanted to get something done with Ukraine, the president told them, talk to Rudy, talk to Rudy. So it's going to be very difficult to throw Rudy Giuliani under the bus and make the point that, oh, the president didn't know anything about this, because clearly in the transcript, in the uh, now the call to Sunderland that we've heard, the president really does look like he he did know all about this. And it's a very much more difficult case to make that that President Donald Trump wasn't yeah, involved remember, here. Rob, let's make one point. Though. I think you're right on everything there. But a couple of weeks ago, Trump wasn't clear whether or not Rudy still was his lawyer. <laughs> and so there have been – this is not apropos of nothing, the right. fact that he could potentially – um, and there's yeah. a there's a precedent for the president's lawyer being thrown under the bus. Michael Cohen could uh, attest to that. And, and Giuliani clearly doesn't want to end up in that uh, particular situation. He also spoke that New York language they have between them. <laughs> uh, Matt, before I let you go, last time you were here, you had mentioned uh, the possibility that there might be 20 Republicans, I guess, in the Senate to come over and actually vote to uh, remove the president from office that we couldn't uh, – you weren't predicting that. I'm just saying you – you didn't rule out that possibility. You thought this was not necessarily a fait accompli. Uh, where are you on that thinking today? No, I'm still there. Okay. I, I wouldn't bet on it. Um, I don't think the odds are great. But I think it is within the realm of possibility that enough Republicans would. And, and it depends on what happens, right? What happens with this David Holmes testimony, the, the, the aide who uh, allegedly overheard the conversation between Sondland and President Trump? That could move the needle. I also think that there is a, a scenario where Republicans fall short, but still – or Democrats fall short of getting enough votes of Republicans, but it still is – enough to be sort of a censure on Donald Trump. If Trump is impeached in the House and then it goes to the Senate and you get five or 10 Republican senators, and if their message isn't, what about the whistleblower? Maybe their message is what Donald Trump did was really bad. We do not stand behind it, but it's not enough to overturn the will of the people. Like That may or may not be sophistry, but at least that would be something 
And uh, I think this will go on Donald Trump's permanent record. Stephen, Matt, thank you so much for joining me on the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. And thanks to our listeners. We've got a new episode for you every weeknight. So please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow.